When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Good Music Podcast, a show where we discuss artists, songs, and talk about why we love them. New episodes every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and become a patron to gain access to exclusive content. And now, on with the show. Welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. I'm Ethan, and welcome all you new people. If you like what you hear, go ahead uh, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. We have new episodes coming out every Monday. If you've been around for a while, Instagram and Facebook. That's where uh, you need to reach out to us. If you have any uh, suggestions for bands or anyone that you'd want us to talk to, we do one fan submission a month. Uh, so if you want to get in on that, that's the way how. But if you are a lover of good music, if you're in that that top 1% of people in the world that really love good music, then you need to go down into the description of the episode, click on the Patreon link, become a patron, and you get special access to our after-hours segment called the Bad Music Podcast. Because if you love good music, you probably also love making fun of bad music, and that's what we do. So, Lucas, who are we talking about today? We are returning back to the the hammer of the gods themselves, Led Zeppelin. Yep. Ah! <laughs> why? Why pick them again? Well, well um, Led Zeppelin is one of the most important, not just rock groups, but groups of all time. They fewer bands have sold more records than them, have had as much influence as them, have written as many great songs as they have. They're just one of those bands that, they're one of the few bands that you could say could stand in the same league as, say, the Beatles or Michael Jackson or the Rolling Stones. It's just like, they're in that level. Like, they've sold over They've sold over 300 million albums. Oh my. They're just, they're in a, they're in a that disgusting level of of fame and yes exactly and they're just they're a band that i personally really love and um they're a band that i forget that i like them as much as i do until i go back to them and then i'm just like holy crap yes and so um I thought it would be fun to uh, to get back into them, and specifically with this second episode on them, I wanted to focus on their experimental and epic songwriting, kind of like how we did with our uh, Volume 2 of Rush. I don't mm-hmm. think very many people would think that Led Zeppelin was, like, experimental. No, and I think that that's... But it's one of those things that when you really think about it, like they're they rarely did things normal it's just mm-hmm. because of the fact that they were so successful 
you're used to thinking of like their of experimental yeah most people think of the big successful bands as not being experimental but they certainly were um like they didn't write singles they actually have never uh not in the time that they were together as a band they only ever released one single ever wow so i'm curious and what they, was it it was trampled underfoot which i mean if you're going to pick one song as a single that's a pretty great one to pick um it's they just they they knew the strength of their songwriting and they wanted their um their success to be determined by album sales rather than single sales mm -hmm. and they were a big reason cuz we we had kind of talked about um before i can't remember what episode specifically but about um or maybe i was i was talking to someone else about this about the whole function of fm and am radio that the way we think of it now it's they're almost interchangeable except for the fact that like fm is like clearer quality and tends to be more pop charts and am maybe is a more local mm -hmm. and but the way that it used to be was that AM was the original. And AM was where you would listen to uh, Top 40 every week. And FM came around to support album-oriented rock, or AOR. To be able to have a place for artists that aren't as singles-driven to still have their stuff played on the radio. But it wouldn't go into the Billboard Top 200. It would just, you know, it was it was radio, but it wasn't radio based on singles. It was, you know, this is where you would find your longer songs. It's this is the FM is the whole reason why Stairway to Heaven became such a mammoth song because that was not a single. They didn't release a three minute cut of Stairway, <laughs> and it became the most played radio on uh, most played rock song in radio history. So before we get into the depths, um, for people that weren't around for the first podcast episode like me can you kind of give give us the snapshot brief one minute history lesson yes led zeppelin is a british group they uh their first album came out in 69 their last album that's not a posthumous release came out in 78 i can fact check that real quick it's either 78 or 79 they only have like a a 10 year run yeah, it's wow. it's actually, you know, yeah, 79. Um, it's only four guys. It's been the same four guys. And it's the reason the reason why they broke up was because their drummer, John Bonham, passed away in 1980. And when that happened, they were just like, band's done. We're, we're not going to ever get together again. Uh. And so one album did come out a couple years after that, but it was just a cleaning out the vaults album. I can't, you can't even really call it a record. It's also yeah. a pretty terrible record. Um, but do we, do we, um, remind me, do we cover posthumous records in After Hours? Oh, absolutely. All right. <laughs> if, it's re if it's released, it counts. All right. I didn't know but... whether we were like, <laughs> that's, that's another one of those touchy rules <laughs> where it's like, oh, yeah, count it's... the stuff that they didn't release. That the no, they, they count? released it. They released it because you know the other three members were still alive. Uh, right. They they had to re 
they had to release another that last album because of contractual yeah. reasons. They were they they owed their record company one more album. But of course they weren't going to get a new drummer, so they're just like, well, let's just find a bunch of stuff that we didn't release before, and and that rarely ever goes well. It's rare whenever a leftovers album is great because it's usually leftover for a reason. Sorry, continue. But. But so the, the so the four guys I mentioned John Bottom, uh, their drummer who is it's really not even contested, but he's usually referred to as the greatest rock drummer of all time. Why? Mm-hmm. Because he pretty much invented rock drumming. When he when when Zeppelin came around in '69, if you look at drumming in rock and roll, it was rarely ever powerful. Yeah. It was much more either R and B, pop, or jazz. Because we're talking like the Beatles were in '69. Yeah, or listen, like Mitch Mitchell from Jimi Hendrix. You would not consider him to be like a rock sounding drummer. He had a very jazzy touch to the drums. Same with Ginger Baker of Cream. Yeah, and we talked about Charlie Watts of Rolling Stones. He's you don't ever hear thunderous drums from him. When John Bonham came around, he pounded the ever-loving snot out of the kit and no one had ever done that before he didn't he didn't have to mic his drums and it was still louder than the band like he just he beat the the mercy out of it but at the same time he had such an incredible touch and incredible amount of feel that very few rock drummers have ever matched he and he also knew the exact perfect thing to play at all times. He had the he had skill. He usually would, you know, have a 20-minute drum solo in the middle of their shows where he would really let loose and uh show his ability, but he didn't always flex it during the studio productions. He instead found very subtle uh, complicated ways to just make the drum beat perfect for whatever the song needed. Hmm. And yeah, he so he he pretty much created rock and roll drumming. After him, just about every rock and roll drummer was trying to copy what he was doing. As far as the powerful... Yeah, to where you have just that... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of the the key hallmarks of 70s rock and roll is the big drum sound. Where it's just, it's very deep, it's very, um, it's very powerful. Where in the 80s, then it kind of switches to more cleaning it up. Mm-hmm. As well as the, you know, the all the effects. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, John Bonham pretty much wrote the rule book on rock and roll drumming. And when you say cleaning it up, that doesn't mean going back to a jazzier style it's just no it's just more about the um you know concentrating more on the sound rather than the feel gotcha yeah so of course there's exceptions everywhere but that's you could say the majority sits there but yeah and i honestly like if you were to go online and look at every greatest drummers of all time lists yeah he's the top three the top three is is I've never seen a list that doesn't have the same top three, and they're always in the same order. Neil Peart of Rush is always third. Keith Moon of The Who is always second, and John Bonham is always number one. I've never seen a list. I've looked at hundreds of them. It's I've never seen it 
that order change. It's pretty much unanimously in the same way that Jimi Hendrix is unanimously uh, regarded as the greatest guitarist of all time. John Bonham is unanimously considered the greatest drummer of all time. Buddy Rich. That's all I'm saying. Well, in rock and roll. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you start to get into some of those jazz guys. Yeah. It's, and I mean, that's where John Bonham drew from as well. He did study a lot of jazz. He just didn't yeah. completely interpret it into a jazz way, but he picked up a lot of their techniques. He had some of the fastest hands and feet that you could ever believe. And he, did a lot of things on a single pedal that most people can't do without a double. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's respect points right there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, he was the first rock drummer to use the Purdy shuffle in a rock song. <laughs> uh, the, in their song, Fool in the Rain, which is, I actually have to teach that in my drum lessons right now. Yeah. And it is kick, it's kicking my butt. <laughs> and he just, he plays it perfectly. So anyway, so that's John Bonham. You've got uh, John Paul Jones on bass, as well as pretty much all auxiliary instruments, whether that be keyboards, pianos, strings, flutes, you know, anything that is not your normal instruments, he plays it. He's He's, the not-so-secret weapon of the band. He's, (laughs) I would say he's the greatest secret weapon in music history as far as someone that did so much and never got the – the fame or the recognition for it because when you're in a band with jimmy page robert plan and john bonham like you know that's it's that's hard for anyone to keep up with but also the fact that he was such a private guy very humble guy never sought the limelight he was just someone that just sat in the background and just did whatever needed to be done Mm -hmm. but he when you really pay attention to what he's doing it's staggering how good he is at what he's doing uh then of course you've got the two big stars of the band um jet jimmy page on guitar and robert plan on vocals who are also among the greatest to ever uh do their thing Mm -hmm. jimmy page is one of those people that could be up there in the discussion of who's the greatest guitarist of all time even though he did have an immense amount of skill. He plays some very complex things, but I think what's probably his biggest contribution to the world of guitar is showing how um, how varied the instrument could be. Yeah, He was maybe the most versatile classic rock guitarist of all time. He could play literally any style and play it perfectly. Yes, I would agree with that. That's exactly what I would have said about Jimmy Page had you made me say something. (laughs) Sure, there's other people that can shred better, but Mm -hmm. we've talked about in previous episodes that shredding is not the most important quality to determining who the greatest guitarist is. No. He he was the really the first one to um, bring the guitar out of just electric guitar and bring it into other styles and not just introduce it but play it at an extremely high level he is an incredible acoustic player he brought alternate tunings to the table in a way that other guitarists hadn't really done yet Um, his ability to play in whatever style it's one of the also tricks that made led zeppelin so good was that you never knew what they were going to play 
they that you couldn't really pin them to a specific sound or a specific style. And I would say a big part of that is Jimmy Page and his compositional ability. And then Robert Plant is just he's a freak of nature on the vocals. Got he really brought that that high pitched uh rock god uh persona to you because know, I mean you look at your front men before then I guess you could say that if you were to pick someone else that fit that mold it would be Jim Morrison of the Doors but Jim Morrison had a very short career and he also didn't have near the vocal ability that Robert Plant had Robert Plant was maybe the greatest frontman sex icon of all time as far as just someone that he literally looked like the ultimate rock god <laughs> he he had perfect features he had the perfect voice. He had the perfect stage presence. He wasn't someone like a Freddie Mercury that pranced all over the stage and was very energetic. He was someone that just, he swaggered around the stage. He's someone that moved calmly but assertively. And he had this, this mystical aura about him. He was just someone that just oozed raw sensuality. And his voice did as well. And it's one of the biggest reasons why people were drawn to it because it 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 held so much power and emotion. Hmm. So okay. so that so that's the band. I I you know we we do cover a lot of that in the first episode, but I figured it was still necessary to kind of just establish that off the bat. So next, let's talk about what we call our first thoughts. Um, just kind of talking about where we each are and our standings about how we feel about the band before getting into the episode. And then when we get to our final thoughts, we'll kind of talk about if that has changed or not. And uh, Ethan kind of came up with a nice little ranking system to help uh, give it even more of a, more of a, uh, an an analytical ranking. So Ethan kind of what, what are our, ranks that we're going to be talking about. So you can think of it on like almost like a one to five scale, one being the lowest, five being the highest, but uh, each number has kind of its own little uh, internal definition. So five would be like a fan, like five out of five. I'm a fan. If they're in town, I have to go see them. You know the songs, you know the albums. You, you know, this is a band that you is already kind of in your circle. Then number four would be Appreciator, which is, you know, you might not know all the songs, but you'll definitely listen to them again. And then three would be Indifference, the middle of the road. If if they come on, it's fine, but you probably won't go out of your way to listen to them. And then you get to the negative side, which is uh, number two, which is The Critic, which is um, you don't hate them, but if they were in town, you would proactively like not want to go you 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 avoid listening to them you know and then on the bottom it's hater which means that you hate them and everything about them yep that's pretty much it you just hate them i don't so i'm trying to uh, think of things that would be in the hater category for me i haven't really thought about it are there any bands that you guys just like hate i would probably say nickelback would fit in there for me (laughs) like you proactively go out of your way to smear them and, and yes. you judge people that like them. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> Journey is the one any. for me. We're going to do it. Oh, no. What'd you say? I said Journey. 
No. You're in the hater category for Journey? I am. I know. I know, I know a volume two that's going to be coming soon. You oh, hate no. them. No, man. I, you I made understand, me listen to hours I understand people being like, Journey's not my cup of tea. But hey, as a guitar player, I don't understand how you can be it's, a hater. It's like, here's, well, here's the thing. I have really mixed feelings about a lot of bands. Hate? Right? That's and, not mixed. Hatred. Well, but like Journey, I, let me get there, right? As far as listening to them, I hate listening to Journey. It just annoys me. Whenever there's like a live band who starts playing a Journey song, I will leave. I will well, yeah, because most out. most most live bands cannot play Journey well, correctly like, even because if it they requires. <laughs> even if they can't, I don't care how good they are. I don't want to hear you play Journey because it's Journey, not because it's gonna suck, right? Ooh. I'm sure. Well, can. yeah, and and the, well, also probably the problem is is that they're playing a lot of the overplayed songs. Yeah, like don't stop. Believing. Good, I've pl- I've or, heard that song a million that, too many times. That song, that song is definitely overplayed, but it is. I would say it's far and away from their greatest compositional. There's a reason I didn't put it in our first episode. But but here's the other thing, right? That song is very fun to play, and I like playing Journey because it's very simple. Uh, well, we'll we'll, we'll have to see if we can. We're gonna have to see if we can change that. But anyway, that's that's a that's a, an after hours discussion if yeah. I've ever heard one. Anyway. Um so Grant, we'll start with you. Um where where do you stand with Led Zeppelin as of right now before we get into the songs that we're gonna be talking about? Okay. Well Ethan's ranking system is making this hard because I stand everywhere between three and five on Led Zeppelin. Like obviously So it would sound probably like four. Well, but like obviously, I can't go see them somewhere live. between three and five. Okay, but like, oh my goodness, let me explain could, myself. Okay, so one of the qualifications, one of the qualifications for five is like if they came in town, you would definitely go see them. Obviously, that's not a scenario that will happen, unfortunately. But let's never say. Happen. You know, Led's like John Bonham was still alive. If there was a Led Zeppelin reunion you know, tour, would you go? Yes, for sure. Oh yeah. I mean, without without a without hesitation. Well, then you're fine. But five. the other thing is, the other thing is, I don't go out of my way and listen to them. I would go listen to them because I want to experience Led Zeppelin. I don't want to experience Led Zeppelin's music. I would I would not get too hung up on the whether you would go see them live part because there's also certain bands you go see them because of who they are not yeah. because of how like it's like it's one of those things like you know if I weren't a big Led Zeppelin fan and I heard they were coming I was just like yeah I'm gonna go see Led Zeppelin because they're Led Zeppelin like do you know yeah. like yeah. all their songs and their albums and I do not I do not there there are a few songs that I will go out of my way to listen to that periodically, you know, one of their songs will be on repeat. I think that would make me an appreciator. Yeah. You're what you're describing is a four. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I'm not gonna I'm definitely not indifferent. I have a positive bias towards them, but I don't know all their songs and all their albums and I'm not really like that driven before this episode. Yeah. So four. All right, and then four. Ethan, where do you stand? I I would say there's a legacy factor of Led Zeppelin that I think everyone kind of has. It's kind of what Grant was saying, where if if they came to town, you know, 
you would go because it's led it's it's like the same as like if aretha franklin you know or like so one of like the og you know like somewhere it's like everyone knows even even whether they're alive or dead you know like they have like the legacy to just be like i just have to go experience this i think if you take that out though i'm probably i'm probably somewhere between in indifferent and critic Ooh, and it's and it's not and it's not because of of anything maybe other than maybe it's just not my vibe but i it's like i would be an appreciator because i know that led zeppelin is like changed the game like i already know that led zeppelin in the in the rock universe did a lot for music you know but if we're just talking about sound like our 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 opinion and and where it sits with our taste i would probably say i'm probably closer to a three but if if led zeppelin like like if they came around i would i would be like eh, and i wouldn't i wouldn't go listen to them <gasps> okay what would what would have been your uh if someone asked you what do you think of led zeppelin what would you have said if someone said hey what do you think of led zeppelin i would be like like it i would kind of go more towards like their legacy as a group and less towards like their sound mm-hmm. yeah me too would you have been able to name any led zeppelin songs off the top of your head like to where you're like oh i know this song or i know this song not there's a song by led zeppelin that i that i know the sound of but i don't know the name i i know stairway to heaven and i know immigrant song what's that other song that's like bow now no no Oh, the ocean! Oh, I love that song. Those are the That's three songs song. from Led Zeppelin that I know. Okay, and and no others. So I'm, I would say I'm, I'm not a critic in the terms of like I don't like them, you know, and like I could never listen to them. But I, I haven't listened. The last time that I actually went out of my way to listen to Led Zeppelin, it was my kids liked the song from Thor Ragnarok. And they wanted to pretend yeah. and fight to it. And so I turned it on. And I was like, oh, that's Led Zeppelin. Oh, so at the time you didn't know that was Led Zeppelin. Nope. When you saw it in the movie. Nope. My wife interesting. out to me. I was like, this song's pretty awesome. Who's that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, for me, I'm at a five. And I have been for the last couple years. I would say it was in the preparation for doing our first Led Zeppelin. Zeppelin episode that I realized I was a five. But <laughs> like, I, as, as you're going it. through the songs, you're like, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> yep. And it's, I've become even a deeper five at getting ready for this episode. Because there was, five. there was still, <laughs> there was still a, a section of their catalog I hadn't quite gone through yet, which is the, the, the last part of their career. And I uh, found several more songs. I was just like, oh, this song is awesome. How have I never heard this before? Um, John Bonham is con- becoming more and more of an important influence for me on the drums. I uh, can see his his way of playing seeping more into what I'm doing and finding a desire to learn a lot of the techniques that he's using. And just 
Led Zeppelin has this great way. Like, I love experimental music. I love, like, I do love, you know, simple pop songwriting, but I also love songs that just really push the boundaries. Mm -hmm. And Led Zeppelin does that in such a great way without getting too far up its own butt. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly like what you mean. they, they are, they are very proggy, but they are never mentioned in the same breadth as other prog groups. Like they're not, you don't, you don't usually mention Led Zeppelin and Yes in the same sentence. Um, you pub now Led Zeppelin and Rush do have a lot in common because that was kind of where Rush got their initial influence. You listen to the first couple records, and it's almost like, you know lost led zeppelin albums but you know you would not compare say tom sawyer to anything that yeah. led zeppelin would do you know they're not going to have the um you know they're not going to have those very those very prog stereotypical passages but at the same time what they did was not at all the norm and they were constantly experimenting with how do we make every song interesting to where we're not ever just writing normal rock and roll songs. And it makes it, there's some of the smartest rock song, because there's really not any pop in what they're writing. If you recall from listening to the songs in the first episode, mm -hmm. you don't listen to that and go, oh, that's just pop disguised as rock and roll, which is, <laughs> What happens with a a lot of rock bands do do that. It's you know you can you're it's it's rock, but at the same time it's it's really pop at its core. Led Zeppelin's not like that. They're blues at their core. Blues, but yeah, that's that's what they started as as a blues band. Their first album is incredibly bluesy, with a couple of experimental uh, songs. And then as time went on, they just continued to shred the obvious blues influences. But it was always there. I mean, especially I would say the most in the way that Robert Plant sang. He He's a blues singer through and through. And um, that's kind of what's at the core of it. But then there's also just this this wild imagination of musical ideas. Well, this 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 constant need to explore every musical corner and master it like you listen to a zeppelin record and you can't say oh this is the record where they focus on this style of music this is the record where they like you you're listening to the record and you literally don't know what's going to happen in the next song because it could come it could take a complete left turn well and so yeah, they I just I love I love that aspect of them. They just I I look at a song like 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 Ramble On, which was in our mm -hmm. first episode. It's not at all a complicated song, but at the same time, it's such a unique sounding song. There's so many things in it that it's like no one else has ever done that. It's not it's not orthodox, it's not normal. But at the same time, it's it's not this like you have to do all this work to deconstruct it. It's mm -hmm. just a it's just an original idea. You look at something like Cashmere, so 
unique sounding, yet when you break it down, it's not that complicated. They're not like they're not playing these wild sweeping parts. It's all very slow, very methodical. They introduce the main theme of the song as far as you've got this this battling polyrhythm of three, four, and four, four. And but then that's pretty much it. And it just it just very in a smart way just in it just opens up as it goes. Or you again you look at something like when the levee breaks, very simple at its core, but they they introduce so many cool wild ideas. And I think that that's what's what's so intriguing about them is that the underlying concept of every song they write is simple, yet they they express it in very sophisticated ways. So if you can't really, I guess, tell the theme of each album, like what separates each album? Really the quality of the song. So I can even give you guys a quick where, where I would rank each record. Okay. So Coda is the worst one hmm. because it's just it there. I would say there's not even a great song on it. There's maybe one good song. It's just it's an it's an album that they would have never made had circumstances not required it. Right. Um, these those the songs that were on there were never meant to be released until they realized, well, crap, we have to make an album, but we don't have any new music, and we're not going to make any new music. How do we get out of this? Okay, let's clean the vault out. Um, after that is prob I would put presence which presence came in 76 and that was kind of like the beginning of their downfall it was when the substance abuse and the personal tensions with the band started to really affect the songwriting and it was an album that pretty much jimmy page made completely by himself and it you can feel that and so, really, um, Achilles' Last Stand is the only great song on that album. There's some good songs on it, but that's the only, like, you know, that's the only top 25 song on that album. After that would be In Through the Outdoor, which is their last official album in 79. Mm -hmm. It's a really, really bizarre record because it actually points a lot to 80s pop. There's a lot of synth in it. And you could tell that it's because that's what Robert Plant's solo career ended up being was more of a pop career rather than rock and roll. And um, you can just feel that Jimmy Page and John Bonham have kind of checked out, except for, you know, John Bonham coming in and slaying Fool in the Rain. Mm -hmm. But it's it's got several great songs on that album. But there's also half of that. Right. I would say half of it is really good. Half of it's really bad. Then after that is when it starts getting tough because then you're dealing with all great records. Probably the next one would be the first record, mainly just because it's it relies a little too much on pure blues. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of uninspired, you know, 12-bar blues songs on there. But then also you've got stuff like Dazed and Confused and Communication Breakdown and good times, bad times, and it's like, this is, you could tell this is the future of rock and roll. 
Mm-hmm. After that would probably be their third album, Zeppelin Three. It, if any one record had a theme, it would be this one. It's their acoustic album, minus Immigrant Song, which is right. maybe one of the most ferocious songs they ever wrote. And then after that, like ninety percent of the album is all acoustic guitar driven. It's got some incredible songs on it, but it's also got a couple of stinkers, including when we get to our After Hours, the very worst song they ever recorded. So that Ooh. definitely counts against it. Then after that, after that is when it starts getting really tough. You've got four albums after that, and all four of them you can make a a an argument of being their best album. Wow. I would say... Probably Houses of the Holy would be their fourth best. It's got a near-perfect first third and near-perfect, I would say a perfect first third and a perfect back third. But then the middle third is bad. And it's it's like if they had cut that out or put better songs in it, it would have been a perfect record. It probably would have been their best album. Um, I would actually be controversial and say Zeppelin 4 would be their third best. That's kind of usually always what everyone considers to be the best one. But I think there's a couple songs that don't quite work as well. And uh, I just think that their top two albums are just have a little bit more oomph. Zeppelin 2, I would say, is their second best. There's That album is perfect until the last song. Mm. I mean, and I mean, it's just you listen and every time a song comes on, it's like, that's one of Rock's all-time greats. That's one of Rock's all-time greats. I mean, it's got a whole lot of love. What is and what should never be. The Lemon Song. Thank You. Heartbreaker. Living Loving May. Ramble On. Moby Dick. Like, all of those songs are like Rock and Roll Hall of Fame level songs. But I would say that their best album is Physical Graffiti, which is their last great album. came out in 75. And it's a double record. And it it has a weak fourth quarter, but the first three quarters are so good that it it doesn't even quite matter that when you get to the end, it's got some stinkers. It's just the, the fact that the, it has three vinyl sides of perfection. And then even the first couple songs on the fourth side are still perfect. It's just you get into the last three songs and it's like all of a sudden it falls apart. But Physical Graffiti is just, it's my favorite Zeppelin record and I just think that it has an, an incredible uh, direction that it takes. Now this is kind of a change though because I remember you saying that in our last episode that uh, Led Zeppelin 3 wasn't that good. I... To me, it is a 70-30 album. 70% of it is good, 30% of it is not. Okay. I I like it more than I did a year ago, but I do still think that it pales. It's It doesn't sit in the same league as the top four. The top four, like, it's really, like, they're inches away from each other in the ranking where Zeppelin three is doesn't, doesn't sit in the same group. I, I thought you had said that that was one of their worst. 
Well, I also hadn't listened to Presence and Into the Outdoor or Coda yet. Okay, so that would explain that. Yeah. I would say that Zeppelin 1 and Zeppelin 3 kind of sit in the same bracket. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so that's kind of that's kind of what I would say. If you aren't familiar with Zeppelin, Zeppelin 2 is the best place to start because it's not a intimidating double record. Mm-hmm. But physical graffiti is is their crown achievement. It's 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 there the wall. <laughs> well, you gotta just, start. It, you gotta start with that one. You know, that's the way I am. Yeah, start with their greatest achievement. Yeah, I mean, just if you're brave, it's just it's a very experimental album because of the fact that it's a double album. They get freaky with the long songs. Oh, that's true, and we have one of them on this list. Yes, we do. So. Um, was there anything else that you guys wanted to touch upon? Any questions? Curiosities? Now, I think I'm right. I will, I will say that like their long songs don't, for the most part, there's exceptions, I'm sure. But for the most part, they don't sound like the epics that we've talked about before. No, right? they're not. They're not these big sweets. Right. They're not. Well, but like when we talk about Rush, the Rush epics, there's a lot of energy in a lot of them. But, I mean, we talk about the one that we have off of Physical Graffiti. You know, there's it's mm-hmm. it's not like it's this whole... I think, I think, honestly, our first song is probably the most energetic one. Which, yeah. like, to be fair, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty intense. But the rest of the songs are pretty much just like you could play it in like a jazz club almost. With the lights all dim. We'll we'll see if Ethan agrees with that. <laughs> blues blues bar, yeah, like yeah, you, you would smoke yeah, yeah. to this music. <laughs> yeah, I, I get what you mean. Yeah, okay. I don't know how to explain other than that, so we'll just go with that. Okay, well then we'll take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the six Zeppelin epics that we have picked for this episode. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone, to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about Led Zeppelin, and this is our volume two of Led Zeppelin. We are talking about the epics, the longer songs from Led Zeppelin. If you haven't listened to our part one, you'll definitely want to check that out first, just so you can get some more basic knowledge and get introduced to them there. But we're going to continue into our six songs segment for this episode. So for those of us who are new, Lucas... What is the purpose of this six-song segment? So, um, like we were alluding to in the previous segment, this is not our first Led Zeppelin episode. So, if you are looking for a set of songs to introduce you to Led Zeppelin, you're going to want to head over to our first episode, because that's what the purpose of that was. But, uh, in this episode, what we're doing is we're we're diving deeper into Zeppelin and using their longer songs as a vehicle to look at some of their more experimental songwriting. And so that's the basis that I was choosing these songs. Of. Um, none of these songs are under the seven minute mark. Some of them are stretching to the 11 minute mark. 
And um, these songs are not just picked because they're six long songs, but rather I'm picking the songs in a way to where they transition well off of each other, that there's an emotional flow, and that by the end of the set, you will have had a significant emotional experience. So um, the way that you can listen to these songs is that there is a link in the description of the episode that will take you to a Spotify playlist and um, you will be able to listen to not just the songs in this episode, but all the songs from our previous episode. lot at this point. So you will have lots to listen to. So um, let's go ahead and jump into the first. This, this song really is an epic. Some of these songs we were kind of talking about before, whether to call them epics, maybe, um, you know, technically incorrect, but. I think we could all agree that Achilles' last stand is an epic. Yes. <laughs> so let's let's start with what the meaning of this song is first before we get into the musical specifics. Yes. So um, this song, let's let's talk about the, about this album. I talked about when we were ranking the albums. This is the album off of Presence, which is I would say their weakest official studio release as far as when all the band members were actively working on it because this was this was a point where the band was starting to fall apart Um, oh originally this album was not supposed to be made they were actually supposed to be on tour for physical graffiti during uh the making of this album but unfortunately robert plant broke his foot Mm. and it caused them to um, to have to suspend that while he heals. And so rather than just sitting around waiting for him to get better, they're just like, well, why don't we just make an album? <laughs> and uh, Jimmy Page, for the most part, kind of constructed this album on his own. And um, normally, John Paul Jones has a big hand in how the songs are being written. And he did not on this record. It's the only record that he had uh, was not a full participant in most of the songwriting. Um, which it's also telling that there are this is the only Zeppelin album to have no keyboards on it anywhere. Wow. So this was this was meant to be a a hard rock return, kind of like they were getting really experimental on House of the Holy and Physical Graffiti. And this was like an attempt to be a back to basics. But then, of course, you you start the album off with a ten minute song, so because this is the opening song on the album, like this is this is this is the this is the ready set go, yeah. Um, and so what Achilles' last stand is is Plant was the is the majority lyricist. He wasn't at the very beginning of the band, but after Zeppelin, I want to say two they uh was consigned him to be the the main lyricist and really this song actually has nothing to do with achilles or ancient rome or ancient greece it was about his traveling throughout uh europe on the trip that he broke his foot and achilles last stand was a joke on the fact that he had a broken foot because that was achilles weak point was his heel i gotcha so really, this is not a story-based song. This is more a 
like a traveler's journal. Mm -hmm. So the lyrics are good at kind of talking about these exotic locations and kind of painting this picture almost in the same way that cashmere does, but it's not telling a story. Mm. He'll occasionally use, um, like he talks about Atlas, but he's not talking about Atlas in the sense of the, the ancient Greek, uh, mythological icon, but rather the Atlas mountains, which are in Greece. And so pretty much he was, the whole trip was that he was with his wife and it was the excitement of being on the road. Hmm. And this song definitely has a a a a traveling feel to it. It's mm-hmm. a very fast paced, very bustling, a very um a very just forward momentum feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um in the ranked playlist I put this song at number twenty three. Mm. Okay. Now Listen, you get up to the 60s and you've still got incredible songs. So being at number 23 with this band is not at all a sneeze. Okay. So um, this song, actually the first time that I ever heard the song was hearing Dream Theater's cover of it. Oh, right. Change the seasons because they, yep they do a they do a little Zeppelin medley and this is the song that they feature the heaviest in that medley. They also do the Rover and the song remains the same, but the Rover is just the a small little instrumental at the beginning and they just do a little bit of song remains the same at the end. But the majority of a, of that approximately eight minute medley is Achilles' last stand. Hmm. This. Um, I would say the star of this song is John Bonham. His really? drum grooves on his drum grooves on yeah. this song are just insane. Dave Grohl has described that uh, some of the fills on here shouldn't be humanly possible. <laughs> really, like some of those, some of those really fast. And it's not just that he's playing at that speed, but he is hitting those drums hard when he's playing that at that tempo. See, I didn't notice that at all because as a guitarist, I was focusing on the guitars and John Paul Jones is like doing a pretty intense bass groove for most. Oh yeah. This you can, you can almost say that this is a song that helped birth Iron Maiden. That's such an Iron Maiden riff. And there's like, um, there's those harmonized guitars. Mm-hmm. There are um, eight guitar overdubs on this song. <laughs> and Jimmy Page did them all in one evening. Sounds about right. Sounds about right. He He was really the mad scientist of this song. Um, you know, the, the, this is definitely, this is the guitar is the focus of this song, but just, I think that John Bonham just like completely just annihilates this song on the drums. <laughs> so, um, Grant, what were your first impressions listening to this song? Well, what were you, what was, what was, what was sticking out to you? What were your, what were you pulling away from? Well, I mean, first you start with that fade in 
Oh and yeah, that first, fade in's great. The first thing I thought was, wait, we're doing another Rush episode, but wait. I've heard every Rush song. This doesn't sound like any of them, but it sounds like something that would come off Caress of Steel. Yeah, it would. Yeah. About and, the same time period, too. But I also remember, like, when I was listening to Caress of Steel the first time, and my dad heard some of it, he's like, oh, is this Zeppelin? And I'm like, we're doing another Zeppelin episode. And I got really happy because, like, it was a side. I knew it was going to be a side of Zeppelin that I never, like, looked at. Because that's how mm-hmm. volume twos are. Yeah. Um, and so I was just, I guess that's that's good because it showed that I was a little bit curious. But also, I see what Ethan says about this song being super, like, well, all the songs just being long and not needing to be. Because you get to about the six and a half minute mark and it, there's like some Robert Plant vocal melody and I can't remember what it is. But it sounds like that we're getting to the end, and then we keep going for another like four minutes. You know, it's good. I'm not nothing against it, but I think that it's a different way of thinking about longer songs. Yeah. Like, oh, we want to keep re harping on this idea and keep doing a theme and variation style thing, which like I talked about that in their first episode. They're very good at that. But uh-huh. how many minutes you kind can of, you do that for, right? Yeah, you you kind of can't think in the same sense of those of us that are that are raised on Prague. Yeah, kind of we're we're trained to think of long songs in a certain way. Yeah, that there's that there's all these it's all this all these sweets, mm-hmm. all these movements where it's like okay, we got we've we've been in this section for a certain amount of time. Now we move to a completely different section that moves the song in this direction, and Zeppelin really doesn't do that, but at the same time, you don't notice it if you put the song on and you don't really like listen intently, which sounds bad, right? But if you do that, you don't get bored of it. It's not like, oh my gosh, I can't wait for this song to end, you know? Yeah, they're jamming. Yeah, you kind of sit in that mode with them, and I think that's kind of the point, really. Yeah, So so Ethan, what a what was your viewpoint on this song? I I love the groove of this song. I think this song has a lot of good parts in it. Um I I had never really paid attention to the Led Zeppelin vocals before, you know. The mm-hmm. and I I'm surprised cuz whenever we've talked in the past about like best vocalists, you know, or is Uh-huh. Is Robert Plant ever in any of those conversations? Absolutely. I mean, I don't know if he's ever been in our conversations, but he's usually, you know, he's usually up there in the top five great rock vocalists. Because it's good. Like, his vocal style matches everything, you know? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, other than that, I think the song just, it just drives, you know? Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. I think what's impressive is, a drum groove like this is not an easy drum groove to make feel like it's on the edge of its seat, you know, because mm-hmm. there is a lot of stuff happening on drum wise, but I like it because is, this is just four instrument. Like this is a four piece. It's yeah. massive <laughs> for a four piece. Yes, it is. Uh huh. I mean, again, like I said, there are guitar overdubs, but, um, 
you know, it's like they're they don't have they don't have sushi musicians come yeah. in. They rarely ever have because, especially again with someone like John Paul Jones, like they never he can literally play whatever else they need them to play that they yeah. don't normally have. And so, yeah, it's just it's just them four just just slamming away. So yeah, I I like the song. The guitar solo is like kind of the midway through yeah. the guitar solo is uh-huh i i love all the stops yeah. at the dig it again dig it again dig it again dig it again bam, bam, bang it again, bang it again. like you can just tell that like i mean it's telling that dream theater did a cover of this because that's just so something yeah. that they would do <laughs> that's like you you can tell that they like i said iron it feels like iron maiden was birthed out of this it feels like dream theater definitely pulled a lot from a song like this where it's just like oh yeah their cover of this song is pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. You'll have to check it out sometime. I think my favorite part of the um, song is like the like whatever that part is. The uh ah yeah. uh, 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 when, when yeah. I first heard that, I was just like, "That is a sick guitar line." <laughs> yeah, it's like really funky. Yeah. I love also the way the song ends where it just, I didn't, I remember the first time I heard it, I didn't expect it to go back into that intro guitar line and mm-hmm. just to have it fade out that way. Yeah. Uh, I felt like this is a song that could have easily just faded or um, just kind of had a, in uh, a you know, a nondescript. Yeah, but I, I love that it goes back into that, to that fade out. Yeah. Of that of that guitar line, this guitar tone reminds me of Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Sorry if that I feel I way. feel you could I I feel like you could say that about many guitar players. <laughs> like that it, that everyone that everyone guitar line. I'm just like that's Red Hot. Chili yeah, yeah. So, um, was there anything else that you guys wanted to touch on on this song? No, but I think there is a storm coming, and we have a song specifically for it. Yes, but this is this is not this is not a tempest. It's just, it's a, just a little. It's, it's just a little rain. It's a little rain. Oh boy! All right, the rain the, song. The rain where, song. Where is this ranked? This is ranked number four. All right. Okay. So, what's the meaning of the rain song? The rain song is kind of like the the describing of love and emotion and relationship through the course of the four seasons although they do skip fall <laughs> um it's the three seasons i guess it's it's not meant to be super because i mean it starts off with that great opening line it is the springtime of my love which i think as well it's one of those ones when i heard i was just like i've heard that line before I feel like that's just kind of like one of those iconic rock lines. And pretty much the whole point of it is that it starts off so beautiful, but then winter comes and it signals the end of the relationship. But the springtime rains coming again kind of symbolize this, the sorrow, but also the opportunity and, and the potential for new love. Because it's the rains that bring the new life again. Oh my god, it's, that's poetry. It's, yeah, that's and and also the meaning to say that 
you know, rain is inevitable. You can't wish away the rain. And it's that, that, that expression of into every life a little rain must fall. Saying that, you know, you can't expect a perfect relationship. You can't you can't skip out on love because you think it might end tragic. It may rain at the end of your relationship. It may rain during your relationship. That shouldn't stop you from experiencing the beauty that is there in the spring and in the summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's very much, he's, he's not a, um, he is a, it's better to have love and lost than better not to love at all. I I love it when songs have looping meanings like this. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I and then oh, you start breaking into what's going on musically here. <laughs> yeah. This this these are my favorite kind of proggy songs. Where it's it's not as much like these like how are you talking about it's it's not sweet built or you know, very, there's no really verses or choruses. It's just like sections, but it's this, it has this movement to it, but at the same time, it's so simple. Um, it reminds me of a Yes song called And You and I that is a 10 minute long song, but it's like, it's mostly acoustic driven and it doesn't go into these crazy shredding parts. It just, it just takes these cool left turns where you don't expect them, but they're so simple. And to me, this the this is my favorite kind of experimental proggy song, to where it's just it feels so fresh. It doesn't feel like any kind of formula. These it's these kinds of songs that I wish that maybe Dream Theater would start putting back into their records, mm, yeah. and not have it be so reliably. Verse, chorus, verse, chorus, instrumental section, chorus out. Yeah. But but something that's just it's it's very um it's very simple yet at the same time it's like you don't listen to this and go, Oh, this is a you know, this sounds like this song or this song. Like this song only sounds like itself. Yeah, it's true. But just again, it's so simple. And yet when you peel back the layers there's more going on. Like, there's really like five musical ideas in the whole song, and you get pretty much all five of them in the first yeah. minute. Yeah. And it's just, it's just a, a recycling, putting them in different orders, starting to gradually build the layers. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's I like I remember I was very surprised when all of a sudden I heard the drums come in. I, I thought this was going to be just a purely acoustic song. And hearing that, and then, and then of course, when it just, when it hits real big, when he gets to the, the coldness of my winter part, it's just, it's magnificent. Yeah. This is a great song. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, this, this is one where you can really point to John Paul Jones. Because yes, that he string accompaniment is really what mm-hmm. puts the puts the cherry he's, on top. And it's not a it's not a string accompaniment. He's playing just on a mellotron. Well, but like he wrote yeah. the whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, he's playing the piano. Like he's an integ- He's a very integral part to this song. But really, really, the the star of the song is Jimmy Page. Right. 
Like he, this song was written because George Harrison of the Beatles told him, why don't you write any ballads? Hmm. And so he's just like, well, I'll show you. I'll write the one of the best ballads ever. <laughs> and then he did. Mm-hmm. That's funny, actually. That's great. Yeah. Um, and then also, Robert Plant has said that he thinks this is his favorite ever vocal performance of his. Ooh. It's pretty good. So, um, yeah, so now that I've kind of explained it a little bit, uh, Ethan, kind of what what is your feelings on this song? Kind of what were you feeling as you were listening to it, and what did you pull I, it? I love this song, actually. I It has a really R&B vibe to it until the, I mean, until the winter part kicks in, you know? Mm-hmm. Like the core, pro- even like the core progressions, like nobody outside of like R&B uses like a minor five, you know? Hmm. And then whenever they went to it, I was just like, oh, that's amazing. I didn't think it would do that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> nobody outside of R&B uses a minor five. I'm not five. saying nobody, but it's it's very, whenever you hear that, that usually it's a six minor five, one, four, and then to get you to the four, it's like a like a two five one substitution, like as a turnaround. Just uh, anytime that anyone ever does that, it's like it, mentally, it's all, it always connects me to R and B. Okay, see when you said minor five, my head went flat five, and I'm like, everybody no, uses that. No, yeah, no, I know what you're saying now. Like like A minor, G minor, seven to C, right, and then yes. to F major seven. Like it's just like oh, it is weird. But, but they do it, and and I didn't care. They do it, yeah. Got in in this song, I was because I loved that their like the largest instrumental section was after the first verse. You know mm-hmm. that never happens. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, you kind of almost forget that there and, were and vocals, and then when the it summer, comes back in, you're like, like Whoa. yeah, yeah. And I think the Mellotron. Uh, strings sound awesome. Oh yeah, Mellotron is a really hard instrument to get to sound good. It's very easy for it to sound corny and dated, but I feel like it's perfectly used here. I think that John Paul Jones is the best ever player of the Mellotron. Oof, that's a contest. I mean, I don't, I don't know any other maybe Mellotron maybe players. So yeah. Maybe I mean usually there's no one that's ever an yeah. exclusively <laughs> Mellotron player. It's usually just an an a, one of the many keyboards that a '70s era keyboardist would have. I mean, probably Rick Wakeman would be the other one that I would look at, who's the piano player for Yes. But John Paul Jones used it so much and used it so well. Remember, he did use it in uh, that Rolling Stones song, 2000 Light Years From Home. Oh, yeah, it's true. He was the session player for that. Um, to me, this song, and also, if you probably noticed, this is a very untypical second song for me to pick. Yeah. I really decided to get experimental with the kind of set I was going to build this time as well. Oh, in honor, in honor of um, the experimentalness of Led Zeppelin. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I was just like, well, we're doing 
big songs. The first song is a really big song. It can be, you know, it's awesome, but it's you feel a little exhausted after listening to it. Yeah. And this song is kind of like a an immediate rest before things start to get really big. Right. And this song this song kind of sounds like uh like you're stranded somewhere almost. Mhm. And so it's like we had the traveling and now we're like here, I guess, just vibing. Especially when it does it, when it does that. Yeah, yeah. Love it sounds very it. island like. It. Mm-hmm. It's so yeah, weird. It's like, it is. It's so awesome. <laughs> That's also true. Mm-hmm. I, I, this is this is what I'm talking about. About it's the. I would have never pegged them as a blues band or any blues influence at all. I know because at at this point the blue. At this point in their career, the blues influence was very minimal. It was Houses of the Holy, their which was their fifth album overall, was kind of like the point where they really transformed into something that transcended any kind of genre boundary. Like, even on Zeppelin Four, you could still feel that they're a blues-based rock and roll group. Once you get to Houses of the Holy, it's just like, what even is this? It almost is like in the same category as Pink Floyd, where it's like it's not prog, but it's not quite rock, but it's not quite pop. What is it? It's just what yeah. it is. I think that I think that probably Pink Floyd is is the best band to compare them to as far as just like they just they just made music. Mm-hmm. Rain song. No normal rock band would write a song like this. Mm-hmm. It's just that's just what Led Zeppelin did, and because of the fact that they were not beholden to themselves to write singles, you could definitely feel the the passion going into these these types of songs. And uh, also, I love the fact that again we're we've got these same five motifs playing over and over again until we get to the very end of the song. And it takes that weird turn right at the very end when it goes to that boom, dun, 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 and it gets like kind of dark for a second, but then it ends on that just that beautiful washy sounding chord. I think the way that it ends is just yeah. brilliant. It's a good song. Very good. <laughs> no denying that. Uh, do you guys have anything else? I'm ready to get to the next one. So now we're going to get into a song that really shows that they were a blues band. This is an incredibly bluesy song, Since I've Been Loving You. Mm-hmm. This this almost... To me... I was going to say, to me, this may be the ultimate dark horse in their discography. As far as a song that was is not typically seen as a classic, but I think it's one of the best songs they ever wrote. I put it at number 12 on the ranked playlist. Wow. This, everyone just annihilates what they're doing. Yeah. Um, the guitar is is powerful. Robert Plant just like goes 
off on this song. Mm-hmm. Some of those, some of those whales are just like, how does he, how is he even doing that? Mm-hmm. Uh, John Bonham's fills and grooves on this song are so menacing, mm-hmm. and then you've got John Paul Jones just wailing away on the organ. In a weird way, this kind of reminds me of like a Aretha Franklin song. Yeah, I can see that. You know, and how it's like it's it's very slow. You got the blues licks between every line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is like I said, this is off of Zeppelin three, which is a mostly acoustic record. You've got you've got this song, um, Celebration Day and Immigrant Song as kind of being the the non acoustic songs on that record. Mm-hmm. And um, this song really could have been on that first record, that very bluesy record. Yeah. But at the same time, you can tell that by the time they get to writing this kind of blues song, that their songwriting has matured a lot. Mm-hmm. This is this doesn't sound like a cover of a blues song like they used to do. This is like Zeppelin has become its own thing, and they write their own kind of blues song. Hmm. Wait, what do you mean by that? Like, what specific things can you point to, I guess? To me, it's the bigness of it. The, the, um, like, just the, the way that it just gets so powerful and so heavy. Mm-hmm. Like, blues before them really never got that heavy. And when it, when it gets big on those choruses, man, it is it is heavy. Mm-hmm. It is it is heavy as lead. If you don't mind me saying, it goes over like a, a lead balloon, yeah. Uh huh. So, and and also, just I feel like the uh, this isn't twelve bar blues. It's blues, but it's not. You know, it's not classic standard. Where a lot of their their blues songs on their first album, I wouldn't say a lot, but several of the blues songs follow more of the traditional 12 bar. Mm-hmm. And this has got some really interesting chord changes. Oh yeah, that's true. Robert Plant said that that made it very difficult to figure out what he was going to do vocally because he was like, I don't know how to dance around these really bizarre chord changes. <laughs> but then he said, but then he said, once he figured it out, he was just like it. It sends sh- chills down me every time I listen to it. That's awesome. Man. But this this song ended up becoming a live favorite for the band. But it's definitely like it gets overshadowed by a lot of their other songs. So as far as like you know what's a contender for their best deep cut, I think that this is one of them. It's so bluesy. <laughs> it, yeah. if, if, I mentioned the bluesiness yeah. in the last one, but dang, this one mm-hmm. is blues. See, Ethan, this is this is one of those that I would expect you to this to be high on your candidacy for being your favorite. It's it's really good. This one's very good. Okay. That's a also answer. uh John John Paul Jones is doing both the bass and the keys live in one take because he's using a bass pedal instead of an actual bass. <laughs> That's dope. Yeah. And so he's 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 multitasking because he's the that's all being tracked live except for the vocals and the guitar solo. Hmm. 
Well, but that's what they did at that point. Yeah, but by that time, it was starting to become less common. For them or just in general? Or both? In general. But they were still... Depending on the song. The more experimental the song was, the more that they would have to... Go live. Multi-track. Yeah. That makes sense. But... Yeah, just this this song is just and just the lyrics are just pure blues. So there we go. It's just it's about it's about a woman that's just causing him unending grief. Yet at the same it's that it's that whole I can't quit you even though you're you continue to do me wrong. There's something about you. Um ever ever since I've been loving you, I'm about to lose my mind. But yet can't leave so it isn't uh you keep you keep pulling me back in it's a deep meaning one as much as the previous two songs Mm. no but it's you know this is this is this is classic blues lyrics if you're gonna write a blues song blues lyrics is the way to go that's right yeah try writing a blues song about dragons and gods fighting over the hearts of man and you know <laughs> dystopian societies in the future where we're not able to make our own music or a nightmare you had i don't know i'd like to see someone try i'm sure it, i'm sure it can be done but you're right it's like what do you do they weren't that experimental at this point though uh, i mean they zeppelin 3 is the beginning of them starting to really go to some outside ideas you listen to a song like friends or celebration day even immigrant song was like not normal for that time that is i mean that's one of the heaviest songs in classic rock as far as just that riff that that was not normal of that time um even to write a song like something like barney or stomp or that's the way uh, it was just like it, you can tell that they're just like really going for something different, but they were still not at full um, creativeness yet. To me, this feels like a song in the middle of the album that's just like let's return back to where we came from and just do a rip roaring blues. But you can just again tell that their songwriting and playing has gone up in the year or so since their debut. Mm-hmm. That there's just a, there's this extra oomph well, to so it. Say, that none of their... They, they have more chemistry together. Yeah. More than just like, oh, the songwriting is good. Oh, they are good themselves. They are also good together. Right? And that's something mm-hmm. that that like there's a lot of you know professional musicians who you know will will play in cover bands or be hired guns or whatever well they'll practice the songs on their own and the first time they ever play together is in front of an audience it's like you can do that when it's a cover but you cannot do that when you're writing music yeah right it sounds like everybody contributed something meaningful to this song and although yeah there's there's no one playing a well, I just say, although it might not be my like 
favorite song of the set or it's not like my type of music, I can't help but recognize that everybody played an important part and did a gave a great performance as well. Yeah, there's really no supporting players on this song. Like everyone is doing something like incredible mm-hmm. on this song. And overtly mm-hmm. incredible. Some of the man, some of those freaking drum fills on this song are just like tasty. It just it it rattles your it rattles your bones. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious to see as as Ethan is as you're listening to these songs again as we're talking, if you're kind of starting to pick up on on John I've, Bonham. I've known on his on that. His, he is legendary, and of course, as every other drummer, I have I have watched many a John Bonham video on YouTube, you know. But uh-huh. I think it's just I probably wasn't in the right mindset whenever I was originally watching it because I would I would watch him, and I it's one of those like we talk about bands, and especially in our um, history of music podcast, like if you were just watching John Bonham and you were like comparing him to modern drummers which is what i was doing you know i was like Mm -hmm. yeah okay you know he's old but whenever you think like he invented rock drumming for the most part like stylistically the the way that he even plays that that's a lot bigger of a deal Mm -hmm. yeah All right. Um, you guys have anything else? I'm ready for the next. Let's continue going. It is that time for the for the 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 big the big boy. It is that time. The longest song that the longest song that Zeppelin has really? ever recorded. Yep. This is this is the winner. In my time of dying, which is from Physical Graffiti. See, now we've got we're like we're still in blues. I feel like. But if I'm not uh-huh. mistaken, there's a slide. There's slide guitar playing here. Yes, there is. Ooh, so right. it's like real, like classic blues. Yeah, because this is actually a cover. Whoa. Ooh. This is this is this is an a standard from like the 20s. That makes sense. But let me tell you what. No one. Like they're not basing this performance on any version before it. So this this is like the like version. Pretty now. much the Yeah. Like you this isn't the only thing they took is the kind of melody and the and the only the lyrics from the first couple minutes. From the first two what you would call verses. That's the only thing that they took. And then all the instrumentation all the lyrics from that point forward, which I'm sure were ad-libbed, because yeah. it has that feeling of it. It's not written down. Um, it's it's this is their song, pretty much. <laughs> it's okay. But the the roots, the roots of it is just yeah. The lyrics from the first couple they come from a previous song as well as if you listen to the melody, it has kind of the same. But Robert Plant also changes that pretty. Incredibly, it's the same thing that they did with "With the Levy Breaks," which is also technically a cover. But like, you listen to the original or other people's versions before them, and it's it's like ninety five percent different. 
So they were really yeah. good at that. Um, and then, yeah, just this, what a monstrous mm-hmm. song. I put this at number six on the ranked Wow. Blast. I wouldn't have expected it to be that high, actually. Uh, me neither. This is a song, the more I had listened to it, the more I really loved it. Um, this song, when, and also when I really started to key in on the way that it's structured, mm-hmm. and um, just, of course, that whole first section, you've got, it's the, it's the slow you part. secretly a blues fan? You've got that... Is this, I, is this less about Led Zeppelin I'm and finding more about that, the blues? <laughs> no, because I mean, no, no other blues band's gonna play it this way. They've they've completely Zeppelinized this, but I am finding, especially more recently, I'm I'm liking the blues more and more. But also, there is there is an element of this. I'm listening. I was just like, no other blues band's gonna play a song like this. This is like Zeppelin has put their completely unique personality into this version of the yeah. blues but yeah so you've got that so you've got that slow it's this song to me just always has this tension building as it goes yeah. through it's constantly it's constantly getting more on edge i remember the first time i heard it it kind of like made me a little anxious as i was listening because i felt I, you feel <laughs> like it's constantly moving towards somewhere um, like I remember, I remember, like I'm listening through the first part. And I'm like, okay, this is pretty cool because I, I listened to it the first time I ever listened through physical graffiti on vinyl. I got this vinyl, and I was listening to it on my record player. And it was the first time I heard this song was on vinyl, which was really cool. And I had no idea that this was going to be this long of a song. And then it just, and then it goes into that, and then I was like, okay. We're starting to move towards somewhere, and then, um, and then it does that. It goes through that whole cycle twice, where it's you know it does like three or so verses esque. Again, I feel like it's definitely ad libbed, and then it has two of those guitar solos. And I remember it got to the end of the second solo and just goes to that. Yeah. And I was just like, "Ooh, okay, we're moving into something new here," and it returns back into that intro riff. And then I remember, like, like I got chills to down when it goes down just the vocals, and he's saying "Oh my Jesus" over and over again. <laughs> and uh, and then just yeah, I felt like it was it just it felt like there was this inevitable big moment coming. And I remember it got to the very end and does that "Oh, don't you make it my dying, dying, dying." And I was listening, and then you, <laughs> I just love. The humorous yeah. ending at the end. Yeah. So what that was is was John Bonham coughing cause, on accident. What? And then and yeah, that was not planned. Like it was supposed to be this like very serious, very somber moment, this dramatic pause. And he was gonna say day, and he just caught and you and Bob Lynch just goes cough, like just kind of like. <laughs> totally poking fun that's awesome and then and then that's john bonham saying that's got to be the one isn't it kind of just like of course the the best take we got i coughed at the end and then they were kind of like well i think it's kind of hilarious that we build all to this and then we just <laughs> oh, ended it was, with it was hilarious. the first time i heard it i was like part of me was like what the heck and then the other part of me was like 
I'm glad they kept that because we could experience that weirdness too. Uh huh. And so I just I love the fact that I think that it's a, it's a very interesting mm-hmm. release of tension. That it's it's building towards this ten, and then it, it releases it not in a not in a serious way, but kind of just like it's it's it broke it in a humorous way. And I think that that was, I thought that that was very cool Mm -hmm. that they did that. Cause they could have, I felt like they could have very easily redone the ending vocal. Cause he sings that last part when pretty much everyone else is already out. Yeah. And I don't know. I just, when I heard that, I immediately was like, I gotta listen to this song again (laughs) and kind of really see how it leads to that point. And ever since then, I've just been fascinated with this song. (laughs) So that's my really long explanation of why I like this song. That's pretty awesome. That's a good reason. Um, Grant, Grant, what what were what were you pulling from this? Well, it's really bluesy. It's really slow at parts, but it's really fast at other parts. And I think that it's important to note, like at the very beginning, it starts with the guitar, but then within, I mean, like. 10 seconds you have all the instruments in right all the instruments for the rest of the song are featured within the first 10 seconds and that's something very different from like what we saw in the rain song or when you see with other like typical prog epics like um octavarium where you have that big long five minute section of pretty much just that pad and a really reverby guitar right and so we've already seen all of the sonic colors immediately and so they have to create the rest of this 11 minute you know epic with different compositional elements versus different sounds and that's something that's like foreign to post 80s you know prog nerds which if if we keep talking about this as prog but i mean you know what i mean if you if you listen to that post 80s prog there's a lot of focus on different sounds, not focus on different mm-hmm. parts quite as much. And yeah, like both of them kind of play together and ultimately like the, the perfect balance is somewhere in between. But here there is no focus on sound. Like, and, and that's their thing Yeah, too, is like, from what I understand, Led Zeppelin was never into the different sounds that things could make. It was always the different moods that things could mm-hmm. could create. So I could be wrong. Which album is me. this? But that's that's my big takeaway. What? Say that again. Is Ethan? this one of their earlier albums? No, this is this is uh, Physical Graffiti is in seventy five, which is about the. This was this was their last great record, and it was after this one that they started to fall apart. This is their sixth wow. album. Like again, you can just tell that this is this is a blues song that's put through the processor of now having been with each other for about it's six hard to years tell now. The, and just the ha- mix and like like the all the sounds I guess sound more uh old. Yeah, really. Into the outdoors, the only 
album of theirs that has really any noticeable production difference. Um, it that record definitely has more of a pop production mm-hmm. value to it, but all the other ones, like you could, you could play it and and not have a very clear indicator of what part of their career it's in because yeah the the mix was always their their later like their mid 70s stuff sounds retro and yet their late 60s stuff feels forward like their first two records that by the way their first two records came out in 69 they made two albums that year and they sound as good as anything you will ever hear in the 70s like they sound incredible and then you get to 75 and it sounds exactly the same hmm. but i just i don't think that that's a bad thing i think they just they zeroed in on a sound that worked for them and um yeah cuz usually it's very rare when they really experiment with mm-hmm. production and a lot of t- in the times that they would, it usually ended up not working in their favor. Aww. Sad, but, you know, I guess it is what it is. Sad, but it is what it is, yeah. Uh-huh. So. Well. So, um, so Ethan, what were you uh, I guess the, you it's the same where it's just like, it's so bluesy. Like, I'm, I'm so surprised at how because in the opening you were just like yeah they're mostly blues i was just like lies but to say you you forgot about these two well it's just like you thought it was just one of the other things that they yeah like tipped into rather than being kind of the the basis but like none of the songs that i know from led zeppelin would were like bluesy bluesy you know and so Uh uh-huh yeah it's just a constant (laughs) <laughs> a constant barrage of blues but I like yeah. they're doing some really weird licks which kind of goes back to like the prog like the just putting that in there and then having that weird like extra meter before they go to the yeah again just whenever they do proggy things it's they always put it adding these these little touches to where like if you're not really paying attention you don't notice it but when you do pay attention you're just like wait a minute they just yeah. did something it's weird there like, if you're not paying attention you miss it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's really respect i mean they do a good job of driving this and um man the guitar solos are really good <laughs> again yeah and they're yeah. just little short ones mm-hmm. And I love how they both end yeah. with that like as a signal to the rest of the band going, okay, when we play this, we're yeah. going back. It's just, again, you can feel that this song, that this was not incredibly structured, that this is just, this is just an incredible band just off the cuff, just going with it. Again, once you get past the initial part, you definitely feel that the lyrics that Robert Plant's just kind of making up as he goes, but he's really good at it. Um, 
it's almost like they have predetermined cues, like again, like signaling what the end of the guitar solo is. Um, a couple of the offs, like you know, obviously when we play when we play this part, make sure to add in this extra meter right here. Uh, but then es especially, you can just feel that the band is communicating with each other yeah. as they're playing. That this is not a again like a prog where it's very meticulously mapped out. Where it's like we're gonna stay in this part for exactly this number of bars. We're gonna, you know, play exactly this, play this note here, then that note there. This this feels like they had a very loose idea of what they wanted the song to be. Mm -hmm. And then they just went with it and got an incredible take out of it. They probably didn't even intend for it to be eleven minutes long. It just happened to be. <laughs> it just was. And then again, that's what adds into the whole, you know, funny bit at the end is just like everything was off the cuff. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I can see that. All right. So, um, so now after again, we've kind of we had a we had our down moment with the rain song, and then we were, were con we were constantly building intention throughout the last two songs, and it's kind of now time to bring it down again with our next song no quarter one of the one of the weirdest no songs quarter, that zeppelin has ever but written. i'm sure they have dimes and nickels so you will get paid <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh i put this oh, at man. number seven okay. on the ranked playlist this is i i immediately juggled this yeah i know me too me too this like, yeah this is one of my this song is of zeppelin this is this is wildly revered really? in the Led really? Zeppelin community as like one of their one of their holy grail that. compositions. It would have not been well received just because it's it's weird. so different. Yeah. Zeppelin fans knew at especially by this point. Again, this is Houses of the Holy. This is the first album where they really went full tilt weird. But I mean, just this this song is just so unique. Again, just that's how I feel when I hear a lot of their songs. It's just like I've never heard a song that sounds like this. This is this is so specific. Um, but I mean, John Paul Jones. This is this is his. You know, this is his song. The keyboards are what really drive this yeah. song forward. And man, the guitar tones in this are great. Yeah, on um, the dr the drum groove when it yeah, come when that so they good. come in the first time it's just you're not ex you're not expecting mm -hmm. that kind of groove, and and then the vocals are so haunting and so this is a one of those few times where they used a lot of effects, and it really mm -hmm. worked. Yeah, we were literally just talking about last song they didn't focus on sound a lot, and then here we are with a lot of soundscaping. Yeah. Uh huh. And this was surprisingly a song that they played live really? quite often. Like this, this was this is not a deep cut. This was this is this is most people consider this to be the best song off of Houses of the Holy. I I think I think that the Rain song is a little oh, better, but oh. I understand. Houses of the Holy has a lot of good ones though. They do. It's it's a really stacked record. Like 
also over the hills and far away right. is really close oh as well. The ocean is is really good. Song remains the same is really good. I mean, it's just that's a what a, it's a really strong record. Hmm. But I mean, yeah. So this song is about um, a lone uh, messenger back in the olden times, probably Norway because they referenced the winds of Thor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and just about the fact that the the messenger does the job that no one else can do. That you know they they have no quarter as far as they have no place yeah. to call their home, and at the same time the elements give them no quarter, no mercy. They have the hardest job imaginable because their entire life is because it's. It's. I think it is definitely Norse, not just the Thor, but just kind of describing this merciless environment. This it's somewhere bleak, somewhere cold, somewhere isolated, somewhere where it's it's not going to be you know nice countryside hiking. And just it just it really just captures that that immense loneliness. As well as the fear of, you know, the if if Mother Nature or its creatures decided that you were done, there's nothing you could do about it. Mm-hmm. That's sad. Yeah, but they do a good job capturing the tone. Mm-hmm. This is this is very much a song of just of is- of dread. There's there's. There's no happiness. Dread is a great way of putting it. Um, I don't, I don't know if it's specifically the art for this song, but when I was first exposed to this, there's like a YouTube uh, video, and it's got like, it has this. It's almost like it looks like black metal, right? But it's just this black white monochromatic, mm-hmm. just this dude in a hood is carrying this lantern and it's just all black around him and it's like that's that was the vibe that i originally had in my head like the original feeling and it's like it's so much mm-hmm. like when you said dread like that's exactly what it is exactly what it is yeah So, uh, Ethan, what were you? Uh, I just love all the keyboard song? stuff, especially like literally the second from the in- that the intro happened. I was just like, "Ooh, spooky!" <laughs> it was just, I I just liked the change of the vibe and and dynamically. I think Led Zeppelin does a really good job just building the songs because we've talked about that in the past couple, where it's just like it just starts out in a place and it and it's not so proggy that it completely leaves, you know the place that we were in but the songs uh-huh. always do a good job of evolving and and like midway through the song they kind of go back down to the part before the guitar solo and like in the vocals it's just i feel like anytime that we talk about a really good band i just end up saying it's just like everything is just working yeah you know it's hard to pick out other than like the mm-hmm. keys parts it's hard to pick out anything where it's just like this makes the song good you know because just everything about it is good i kind of like how they subdued his vocals too 
Like they put they put more vocal effects on his voice yeah. than in the past. Couple that we listened to. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is this song is just again you you hear it and you're just like I don't know how they came <laughs> up with the concept of making a song that sounds mm-hmm. like this, but it's awesome. Even just again, even like these more progier bands. I feel like I understand where some of the ideas come from. This is the stuff that I just, to me, it's just, it's so singular. There's, I've never heard another song that sounds like No Quarter. It just, it just is its own thing. And that's what I'm, I think I'm, I'm zeroing in on. That's why I'm constantly in awe of what Zeppelin is doing. It's that they're not copying anyone they're not even copying themselves <laughs> every time they write a song it's it's in a new direction that they've never gone before and to me that's what i think that whenever you are an artist you don't have to worry about what you're doing as becoming stale because you're constantly doing something that can't be replicated yeah. even if you wanted to they can they can stay in this in this musical creative space and they're not going to run out of ideas because they're constantly moving in such fascinating directions yeah it's it's seriously so good so we have the we have the sense of dread and I feel like that that's a great place to be at once right. we hit the final song of the set. And that fade out. Setting, setting us up. It's a long fade out. Yeah. Setting us up. Yeah, it is. Yep. Yeah, sets us up for the big finale. The one that when you when you find out that we're going to be talking right. about the big songs, when you know it's inevitable. We, we end up somewhere so low that the only place we can go is up. And I'm sure that there's a staircase that can take us there. Yes. So the final song yes. of the set, oh, Stairway boy. to Heaven. This? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Just, Which? Oof. Sorry, keep going. I just, I'll, once I start, I won't stop. So let's just. <laughs> I did, I did Woo! put it at number one on the ranked playlist. I mean, although it's not, now, when I say this, I love, love this song. I love other Led Zeppelin songs more, but my this is a situation where my brain yes. knows yes, that this is the best yeah. song. Just what a I mean this there's a reason why this is maybe the the you know this this sits alongside the greatest oh, yeah. rock songs of all time. Oh yeah. And there's you know it's there are going to be people that say it's overplayed, it's overanalyzed, it's, it's, you know, there are they're tired of hearing it and hearing about it. It's almost become a meme oh, yeah. at this point. It's you know, Stairway is the is 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 in the same category of Freebird as as becoming the butt of a joke, where you know. There's a lot of people that yell Freebird in shows and really don't have a full mm-hmm. appreciation of yep. what Freebird is. And same people that, 
you know, they know the intro of Stairway to Heaven and they love to do the no stairway joke, you know, but they really don't have an appreciation for what stairway really is. This, this is a, this is a true yes. musical masterpiece. One of, I think one of the greatest rock songs ever written. And there's a reason why it has continued to be played more than any other That's song true. on rock radio. As, as much, as much as people love to joke about it, you, you just, you can't deny its power. Man, whenever they come in with that, whenever they so, bring in the guitar, you mean, the ding, yeah, the electric guitar, yeah, because yeah. on the, it, on the, the first makes me wonder. Song, so I was kind of confused for a second. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the I, I, okay, I, I yeah, get what we, you mean. It's another example of it's just yeah, it's that's so that's good. a oh yeah, the whole song is just one giant uh-huh. bill, right? And it never. Until the end, like sometimes you know when you when you talk about songs that are just long builds, you'll have to reference songs like One or songs like Octavarium or whatever. But those songs have points where it doesn't feel like it's building anymore. Maybe we just had a high moment and now we're down to a low moment again, you know. And it's kind of roller coastery. This one does not roller coaster. It just it's up and up and up and up the whole time until the end. Which is very rare. Mm-hmm. It is a pure build, because yeah, there's no there's no plateau moment. There's even other songs that like say one that once it hits the guitar solo, it doesn't build yeah, anymore. There. It stays at that right. top. But with this, I mean, it goes right until that until that moment of and she's mm-hmm. buying a stairway, right at the very end. Right, 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 right. So, uh, ah. far as meaning, no one knows. This is this song is mate is probably the most notorious song for people debating about what it could really mean. This, I would say that this is part of the big three of the famously uh, mysterious rock songs, with the other two being Bohemian Rhapsody and Hotel California of just the three that a meaning has never been given and everyone has a different theory. Um, and so I can give what my, what I like it to be and what I see it as, even though I know it's not correct. And the way I know it's not correct is because Robert Plant, who wrote the lyrics said that it, it it means nothing and everything. He didn't write it to mean anything at all. They were just Lame. words. It was just it was just the words that came to him in the moment. But at the same time, he's just like you know, people can put whatever meaning they want to it. And I think that that mm-hmm. kind of actually gives it a little more power. You know, it doesn't it doesn't have to have this. Um, it's like a, this it's like right Dorian answer, Gray, you know, because the, then. The art reveals more about the beholder yep. than the artist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, and with it, it's it's allowed it to continue to be part of the conversation of, well, you know, maybe he meant this. Maybe he meant that. Well, this this is what it means to me. 
And I think that that's what some of the great songs have have become are these ones to where everyone is able to put themselves mm-hmm. into the song. Um, I have always seen this song as a representation of the hero's mm. journey where you you start off with a flawed protagonist that um, is stuck in their old way of life. The, the lady who is trying to buy a stairway to heaven, that she is immature, that she has a lessons still to be learned. And it's this adventure she goes on that um, that helps her to grow into the the hero that she'll be not a hero in the sense of like saving the world, but just a, a journey of self discovery and a journey of growth. That you know that when it gets to the line of there's a feeling I get when I look to the west is like the the beginning of the journey and the piper and these characters that she meets along the way, the May Queen, kind of, you know, and just the, that the journey continues to move forward. There are two paths you can go back in the long one. There's still time to change the road you're on, kind of the growth that is happening. And when you get to the rock and roll part of the end, that's that's kind of, you know, her learning how to be a better person and, the and she's buying a stairway is kind of like she's returning home with lessons learned and now she has found her stairway instead of trying to buy it uh she has found it she has reached enlightenment Hmm. wow but that's my that's just that's just my the way i like to see it i know that it's not right because again of what he has said but that's I find that when I have that perspective, that that's when I when I pull the most from it. That's really good. See, I was always, I was always like, oh, there's some telling- really weird cryptic meaning that we'll never figure out, and I think I'm okay with that because I like the emotion of the song. That's what I've <laughs> always been like, you know. That's just typically how I am with cryptic songs, is I don't mm-hmm. try to figure it out. But yeah. I actually kind of like that, though, that there is no meaning, because it's like, yeah, my first reaction was kind of like Ethan, where I was like, oh, that's lame. But then I thought about it, and I'm like, but that gives it a lot of, like, universality. And you can kind of, like, choose your mm-hmm. own meaning, choose your own stairway. Hmm. Yep. So... Um, as far as compositionally, uh, Jimmy Page pretty much came up with the entire song, mm-hmm. just everything but the lyrics. He had it already finished whenever he got to the studio, although the guitar solo was off the cuff. He hadn't planned oh. that solo. He just played. He knew he was going to play one, but then he just oh, improvised man, it. That's pretty good. And that was the first take. And that's gone on to become one of the that's how most it is, iconic though, sometimes. guitar solos. The of first all take time. sometimes will be just the best. I mean, you talked about that with Refugee and the Tom Petty band. Tom Petty. Yep. Well, Refugee, well, Refugee, they got that on like the 146th well, but, take. No, but they, they decided the that first was not take a first take. Didn't they? I remember that being a thing. 
No. Maybe. I don't think that it was uh, that yeah, song. Yeah, I'm probably thinking of a different one. But, you might be thinking of a different but that's, song. It's yet another one of those examples. And I find that, like, when... But that does... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I find that... Yeah, that does I'm, happen. Like, recording music or whatever, I'll have a really good first take, and I'm like, wow, that's great. But it's, like, 99%, you know? And then the more takes I try to do to get that extra 1%, the more I realize that that's the best it's going to be. And the more I like appreciate the good first performance and it's just a lot more organic. And like, if that's a way that, if that's a word that I would have Mm -hmm. to use to describe Led Zeppelin to be organic, because they're not like I talked about like earlier and I can't remember if I talked about this while we were recording or if it was just us, but like they don't feel very technical. They just feel like they're prog, no, technically, but they don't. They're not going to do those fast runs or the YYZ stuff. Like they are jamming, and it just it all feels right. It's all about the feel of everything, which is good. Like that, they excel at that. Yeah, everything. Everything they do just comes from right. pure chemistry between right. the band members. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man. Yeah, this is a good song. Right. It is. It's hard to say. Yeah. I'm, I'm just like, oh, I mean, that, that's, it's a good song. I know. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's one of those that, like, yeah, it was on Wayne's World, and there was the joke about, like, oh, no stairway, and definitely don't play it in a guitar store. But it's also, it's just so... I can see why, because it's just so fun to play. It's just so simple. You know, it sounds like it's this really complex chord change and whatever. Mm-hmm. And, like, before you get it, like, before you get the chord changes that he's really doing, it kind of doesn't make a lot of sense. But once you do, it's like it feels right. It sounds right. Your fingers just immediately go there. Um, all of the changes, you know, when he goes to that A uh, minor 7, Oh my goodness. Yes. And then the part right before the guitar solo where it almost sounds like it's horns, like it's heralding something to come, which it is obviously, you know, and there's the guitar solo and you have that first half of the guitar solo. That's like, I've, I've tried to learn the guitar solo, but I, you know, it's not my like kind of guitar solo, but it's also like really good. (laughs) So I, that's, that's kind of the dilemma in my head, but the first half of guitar solo is great. And I think that if he kept doing the same, like another four rounds of what he did for the first half of the guitar solo, it wouldn't be the same. But then it comes in with that. Mm-hmm. And like, ooh. Like, I would not have expected that from Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I like it. This is, this is one of those that. Um, before I really got into music and before I really started branching out and everything and I was listening to, you know, all of the early Rush. This was around the period of time where I would um, listen from Farewell to Kings all the way through Signals and then just stop. Or I would listen to Van Halen's 1984 and Diver Down and like two Metallica songs and it was Fade to Black and like, I think that was it. I think it was just Fade to Black actually. Um, and that, like, that was my, that was my entire 
musical discography. That was every song I listened to was encompassed in that statement. And Freebird and Stairway to Heaven. Like that was <laughs> that was it. And so like I'm very well accompanied or blah, 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 very well um, acquainted, I should say, with both Freebird and Stairway. And so when people like talk about how they're bad or overplayed or whatever. It's like, I've listened to these songs 500 times. Don't tell me how they're overplayed. Every time I listen to it, it's a new experience because I hadn't heard this song for years until it was in the set. And I expected it to be in the set because it wasn't in the last one. And, you know, you got to like hit all the big ones and it just, it fit the, the idea of epics. And I don't know. It was just like, it was a new experience because I had brought along all of my musical knowledge that I've gained since then as well. And it's still just as impactful, if not more so, realizing that it's still a good song after me discovering hundreds of other great songs. So, yeah. I'm done. <laughs> not much. <laughs> well our uh our our catharsis moment obviously comes from the end of this song especially man when it gets when he goes to that high octave oh, yeah. when the vocals come back in after the guitar solo that may be one of the most mm -hmm. powerful moments ever put to music his 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 voice is perfect there and some of those notes he had, that that to be a rock and not to roll, and he holds that note at the end, and then of course that that just that solitary moment of and she's buying a stairway. Originally, it was not supposed to be vocals. It was supposed to be he was supposed to say that, and then there's supposed to be a final little mm -hmm. guitar lick, and they decided in the moment that. Um, that they just love the fact that it just it just yeah, ended nice. in stillness, and I, I feel like just for this whole set, for everything that it takes you through emotionally, that there's just no better way to end than with that stillness. It's good. It's good. <laughs> I it caught me by surprise because I was kind of expecting something, you know, mm -hmm. like I was expecting like anything, mm -hmm. but there was nothing literally nothing yeah like ending with like a minor nine or something yep in something anything you know like yeah the and she's buying a stairway to heaven or like a symbol wow. or something. like it, even something like, like a, that even if it wasn't a sound that uh -huh. we would have expected i was expecting some sound but i'm i'm glad that i did not get it They knew best. Led That's Zeppelin exactly right. knew best. They did. They I, knew what they knew what was them. best for you. Well, is there anything else you guys wanted to throw in, throw before, in we before we throw in take the a towel? break here? Well, we're throwing in the towel in this section. Oh, we're not throwing in the towel quite yet. Alright. No. I've I've yeah. said enough about stairway. If I say any more, we'll be here for another twenty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> all right so then we'll take another small break here when we come back we're going to give our final thoughts about led zeppelin and their longer song so stay tuned we'll be right back
Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Ethan. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just got done with our um, section where we go through on Spotify and we listen to all the songs. If you do not go through Spotify and listen to the songs, you're missing out. But we just listened to our six songs for the week from Led Zeppelin, which was Achilles' Last Stand, The Rain Song, Since I've Been Loving You, In My Time of Dying, No Quarter, and Finally... The big boy, Stairway to Heaven. So now it's time for final thoughts. This is just where um, we compare our thoughts now with, with our first thoughts. So, Grant, final thoughts, go. Oh, and your favorite song. All right, yeah, because I almost forgot that last time. Well, so I started as a four, right? Yeah. And that's completely before even listening to this set. But I think that... You know, among other things that I've mentioned about Led Zeppelin, I think that one of the things personally for me that I've noticed is that I was worried I was going to get bored with this episode. And I wasn't. Like, I was bored until we started talking about the songs. And just, I guess, listening to Lucas be so excited about the music kind of made me excited, too right that emotional that's like, manipulation that's that's well yeah a little bit but that's like <laughs> one of those things that lucas has that like when he talks about something in an excited way you get excited about it with him right and i think that's like why this podcast has been so successful uh and a big reason why a lot of my band or a lot of the music that i listen to now has been mentioned on the podcast is because like, I will then get excited from talking about it with both you guys. And then, you know, I'll take that excitement for like a few hours and like, or maybe even just an hour and go listen to some music. Um, I feel like I wanted to delve deeper after last episode, but I never did. And I kind of regret it but I think I know where to start. I'm really intrigued with Houses of the Holy. Both the songs on this uh, set were good. The other songs that I know that are on Houses of the Holy, I like. I think I'll probably pay a visit there pretty soon. Maybe I got, you know, I got a few hours after this to, uh, to spare. I'll hit Houses of the Holy and then see how things go. But I don't know. It's just like I feel more open to Led Zeppelin now, which is like a weird thing to say out loud as somebody who's big into rock and metal and whatever is like, I'm not a Led Zeppelin fan. I just am not. It's just the way I am. But I do like Stairway, obviously. I like No Quarter. I got introduced to Achilles' Last Stand in the Rain song, which I like. The Blues song's not my speed, but I'm not going to say that they're bad. I'm creeping towards a five. I'm more willing to be a fan of Led Zeppelin now. And I'm more willing to seek out Led Zeppelin songs. But I'm not there yet. But I'm on a positive trajectory. My favorite song, you cannot go wrong with Stairway to Heaven. It just holds too much, you know personal value to me just being like one of those songs that i'd always listen to it is if it weren't the best right but if it weren't for that one it would be no quarter wow I, I wasn't expecting that oh yeah that's another one that i that i would listen to a lot 
after, you know, once I started diversifying my tastes, I think, I think here's the problem with me and Led Zeppelin is like, I knew they were good. I had heard some of their songs and then I went straight to their first album thinking, wow, I'm going to listen to. And of course I was listening to a lot of their more experimental stuff and I go straight to their blues stuff. And I'm like, wow, their entire discography must be really crap. And I'm just hitting all the highlights. I think that's the problem. And that's why I've been like subconsciously prejudiced against them, against listening to them is because I think it's just all going to be bad and there's going to be some good stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I'd, I've never given them a chance, but I mean, all that to say is like, yeah, no quarter is another one that I, I quickly got into after I'd started like branching out into music. And I really liked the, the feeling that it gave and cashmere. So yeah. Final thought. Dang. That's a good final thought. I would say a good final thought with me. I I have gone from being indifferent to an appreciator. I I have leveled up one for Led Zeppelin, so that's one point for Lucas. (laughs) And I think what did it for me was knowing that Led Zeppelin was more diverse than their and isn't it this way with everything where it's like if you only know oh what was that other band that we um my chemical romance i feel the same about led zeppelin as i did my chemical romance where i was like i knew their big ones you know and once you start delving in more into their discography you're like oh these guys are so much more than just like their most well-known stuff you know Mm -hmm. and even though um immigrant song is like a great song it's not representative of them as a band you know even though Mm -hmm. it's it's a big it's a big one and it's the heaviest probably hearing all of this stuff because I agree with Grant Achilles last stand is probably the heaviest you know the quote unquote Mm -hmm. like what you would probably say would be the heaviest and it's not super heavy you know I mean not in comparison to next week at least (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah I think I had kind of pinned Led Zeppelin into a corner and and I was just like oh you know, immigrant song is is good, and you know I know Stairway to Heaven, and um, you know Black Dog, um, stuff like that. You know, I was like, yeah, I'm not really. It's fine. I wouldn't really listen to it. Hearing more of the catalog, you know, more of the touch, I guess would be a good way to say it, has really opened me up to it's opened me up to them oh good oh my favorite song can you guys guess what my favorite song is i'm gonna guess it's since i've been loving you probably i'm gonna say that you like the rain song lucas is right it's the rain song oh i thought i was guessing ironically for the record by the way i thought it was gonna (laughs) be definitely i thought that was gonna be like definitely not yours oh (laughs) 
No, I, I, I picked up the love that you had for it as you were talking about it. Okay. Yeah, I feel like I give it away. I give it away whenever I start talking about it because it's just like, it just has so many layers, guys. I thought it was. I think no that quarter, the rain okay. song is is built better than Stairway to Heaven. <gasps> okay, you know I, I that's a that valid the, view. I think that the individual components of the rain song and how they are, how it is arranged, is better. I I will agree that Stairway to Heaven is objectively better, but the rain song, it just speaks to me. You know, I like mm-hmm. the R and B vibes. That is fair. I want to take that song and like do that thing where you like speed up a song and you make it into like a hip hop song, but with the rain song. <laughs> that, <laughs> that would be, be very interesting. That can be done. Like a rock hip hop fusion. That, that would be, be very interesting indeed. But those are my final thoughts. Okay. Um, well, I mean, I started out at a five. So, did it, it did would it be... make it into the pillars? Do you think no, this would be a pillar for you? No, because my pillars aren't just about what I like the most, but what has become important for me in an influence place. I don't think that a pillar can lose its pillarness. Yep. Um, those are kind of just those are set in stone. Unless just like, something radical happens, I don't think Led Zeppelin will ever be to that point. But as far as like, if you ask me, could they be a potential fifth pillar? Yeah, I think so. Because you can always add more pillars. The, yeah. the, the pillars will never lose spots. Uh huh. You, you could be like one of those Olympian, like f- temples, like a Greek yeah. temple with tons of pillars. Where's yeah. just pillars all around, pillars for walls. <laughs> You don't even have walls, you just have pillars. Yeah. Led Zeppelin has the ability to do that. The more that I've listened to them, the more that I've loved them. And just, it was like I was saying earlier, I love their adventureness while at the same time not getting so weird that you lose the, the good song that's in there. As even with how strange their songs get you never get the feeling of like oh this is weird for the sake of being weird the few times that they do it just turns into a bad song but so often you look through their great songs there's something really odd about just about all of them you don't you know it's not like you know other bands like say Aerosmith that is a great rock group, but at the same time, like you, you understand all of the decisions that they make mm-hmm. because it's just they're not they're not a band that's out to be experimental. They're just a very solid, simple rock group. With Led Zeppelin, they have a bizarre idea for just about every song that they do. Yeah, they don't ever just go for it and go, oh well, you know, this song just is what it is. And I think that that's what's so fun about them is that you can pull something really cool from uh, just about everything that they do. And um, John Bonham in particular is just becoming more and more of an influence on me. 
and I'm finding that I'm I'm being drawn to him more and more as a drummer into my personal style. When it when it comes to the more rock oriented stuff, that's that's who I'm kind of feeding off of, and just going what would what would Bonham do? Mm. Yeah, and so, I mean. For me, it was what was what was really cool about this episode was was kind of discovering on a conscious level how they're writing their songs because I hadn't really realized just like oh they're they're arriving at this conclusion more based on and on uh, on spontaneity rather than planning everything out meticulously. I hadn't really kind of thought through that before, and mm-hmm. um, I, my appreciation for them went up after kind of really zeroing in on that idea. My favorite song, I got to go with Ethan, Rain Song, is the one that just stays with me the most. Mm. But for me, my my second place would be In My Time of Dying. Ooh. For me, that one. For me, that one comes close. But I think Rain Song just it. I have I have an emotional reaction to it every time I listen to it, and Same. I find myself anytime I listen to it, I'm humming it the rest of the day. So, um, that's our episode. Thank you guys so much for listening to uh, this second Led Zeppelin episode. If you have gotten to this point and you still haven't listened to our first episode, I would highly recommend you do so. It'll uh, hopefully provide a lot of great context into what we're talking about, even if you are a Zeppelin fan. And uh, please make sure to listen to these songs. It would be, again, a tragedy if you listened to us all this time and you didn't even go listen to them. Even if you've heard these songs before, hearing them in the order that they've been put in Trust me, it makes it for a brand new experience. And the way that you can listen to those songs, there's a link in the description of the episode. Takes you to that good old Spotify playlist. There's also another link in that episode description that takes you to our Patreon page. We are about to start our um, After Hours episode, which is going to be really fun. We're going to be talking about the worst Led Zeppelin songs. So we just spent a lot of time talking, singing their praises, but now we're going to be cutting them down. <laughs> so if you want to get access to that content, make sure you uh, become a patron. You'll also get access to episodes early. And please make sure to uh, catch us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram. Let us know what episodes and what artists you would like for us to do next. About once a month, we try and do an artist that is requested by you guys. So um, this will be a great way for you to be able to get something and someone that you love onto the podcast. And make sure to hit that subscribe button. We have new episodes every Monday morning, 9 a.m. Central next week. We are going to be talking about one of my favorite metal bands, something that I'm very curious to see what these guys have to say about them. Um, So make sure that you guys tune in for that next week. And that's it. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. And I'm Ethan. 
keep on listening to good music.